Money FM 89.3, the best of prime time. Now, as businesses emerge from the COVID-19 pandemic, boards are rethinking the way they lead their organizations through both the near and long-term future. Issues such as sustainability, diversity, equity and inclusion have become table stakes. And that's thanks to increased pressure from a wide spectrum of stakeholders and increasing regulatory demands as well. Companies require a new, bolder type of leadership that's focused on organizational purpose. And they also have to factor in new demands from their workforce. So what does the cohort of directors added to STI 30 boards in 2021 look like? It's the largest cohort of new directors in five years. And STI companies look like they've regained their appetite for board refreshment. Jet Hui Wu is partner in charge at the Hydric and Struggle Singapore office and a member of the financial services practice. Hi, Jet Hui. Hello, Bharati. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for joining us today. So, you've noticed certain trends, haven't you, Jathui, in all of this? Looking for a new, bolder type of leadership. And I guess that is understandable, considering what people went through during COVID-19. You really do need bolder leadership, don't you, for the next crisis? Exactly. I mean, the world has changed since the uh, pandemic itself, right? I mean, if you look at what the pandemic has taught us, it definitely has taught us the importance of agility. We have all been pushed out of our comfort zone. All our previous theories that and what we learned in business schools were thrown out of the window. So companies which did well during COVID were the companies that were able to pivot fast and adopt new business models or strategies. So in order to be agile, I mean, it's imperative now that both executives and directors bring a growth mindset to what they do. Be always open to feedback, alternative viewpoints and experiment with new ways of doing things. I mean, that's one of the key things that came out. Second, I would say building resilience. I mean, the business environment has changed vastly, right? Which means that you need to access a variety of skills, knowledge and experience in order to ensure you stay ahead of the game, which means you now need to actually have a composition at both the executive and the board level that will allow you to access different perspectives. And that's really across gender, generation, experience that can all make the company much more resilient. Yeah, so these are definitely two of the business-related stuff. But I think the mental well-being part is the one that really came out to the forefront. While, you know, it's great to work from home initially, it really became mentally challenging quickly as the lines between work were really blown up, right? So imagine having to cope with kids doing HBL, you know, your spouse attending a meeting while trying to lead your own client meeting all via Zoom and in a confined space of your home. So it's definitely not something I think a lot of us wish to go back to anymore. But what the pandemic had taught us is that mental stress can be very real. Even as we move back to a hybrid working environment, we are now much more aware on this topic. Mm. We'll talk a bit more about mental health and whether or not companies are taking the requisite steps to truly address the problem or merely just ticking boxes by enshrining it in HR policy, perhaps. That in a moment. But first, let's talk about the backgrounds of some of these board members that companies are seeking. In the past, it used to be people who were in the C-suite only chiefly or predominantly CEOs, CFOs, COOs. 
When we talk about having people who are bolder and more diverse, has that dimension changed where companies mostly seek out people in the C-suite? In our latest board monitor where we looked at the results from 2021, Singapore boards opted for a higher share of directors who are retired and have a previous public board experience. So that's 84% versus 47% if we look at Hong Kong. And there is also you know, a correlation to the high levels of interest in directors with CEO experience. That's really something that draws on the fact that there is a leaning towards people with prior CEO experience, business leadership experience. Mm. So in terms of diversity, that part of it is limited, right? Well, diversity, actually, if you look at it, while it's on a year-on-year basis, you know, it looked like it has taken a dip. So that's 34% in 2020 to 28% last year. But in terms of the longer-term trend, we are still on the upwards trajectory from where we were in 2016, right? In 2016, we were only like 8% in terms of new directors being appointed who were female. So we are on a longer-term basis tracking, you know, in the right direction. But when we talk about diversity, we're not just talking about gender diversity. Certainly, we shouldn't limit ourselves to just a discussion about gender diversity, but also diversity in terms of background, educational background, maybe the positions you've held in other companies as well. Totally. And I agree with that, right? Because if you think about how to future-proof your board, you know, going forward, right? That's to my points about assimilating different experience and skill sets. You would need people from different type of career backgrounds, mm. different type of experiences that they bring, different geographical expertise. And that could also mean that different generation, right? So if you're a company that's really targeting the younger crowds itself, do you have the right board composition to actually, you know, take the company to the next level, right? To be able to understand what your consumer is looking for. Yeah, so it's a combination. Of course, gender is the one that's easier to to sort of track, keep track of. But, you know, in my personal point of view, diversity means a lot more than just gender diversity. Certainly. Now, let's talk about gender diversity now, since we've touched on a few other markers of diversity already. So what exactly are we seeing here in terms of gender diversity specifically? Certainly more needs to be done. Like I said, on the longer term trend, I think we are trending, you know, in the right direction. But we shouldn't rest on our laurels, right? Yeah. I mean, if we look at where the whole scheme In our report, we focus on new directors being appointed. But if you look at the overall composition, we are about 20% for SDI boards, which means that we have a long way to go to gender parity itself. There's certainly a lot more that can be done. And there are various ways that, you know, we can think about it, right? But first and foremost, I think it's really being open-minded, firstly, to first-time board members without prior board experience, that's a key thing because that's when you get renewal, that's when you get fresh pairs of eyes that gives you the opportunity to bring in somebody that you otherwise would not already know from your network. And that could be a gender diverse person. And secondly, it's really broadening beyond the CEO experience that a lot of organizations you know, like to index on. So for instance, looking at CHROs, you know, maybe CFOs, Right. That could actually, you know, bring in a different perspective and that will also allow you to build on the gender diversity portion on the boards. 
Most of all, the gender diversity is also related to gender parity in the household, right? So until you get some parity in the household, you're not likely to get parity in the corporate world, are you? Because if women are still taking care of most of the household responsibilities, how are they to progress in the corporate world? So it's typical working, you know, women guilt factor, right? So, you know, what you end up doing is working very hard at work and then you rushing home to do your other work when your, you know, professional work ends itself, right? You know, I think that said, I have observed, at least in my peer group and some of my colleagues as well, that, uh, you know, the responsibilities are gradually being shared you know, between both parties itself. So it's not always the, you know, the the female who needs to bring, you know, the kids to see the doctor, right? Or to sit by, you know, his uh, or sit by her children, for instance, right? To do the PSLU revision. Husbands are actually taking up the slack and actually stepping in to uh, do more and more of those responsibilities. So it takes time to change. Social norms does take a while, you know, but I do observe that we are slowly getting there. Right. (laughs) Let's hope that it progresses (laughs) faster than expected, yeah? Jadhui, what other trends are you observing? I am pretty sure that ESG is factoring in more and more as well. Perhaps people with backgrounds in sustainability? Yes. Certainly, certainly. I think it all ties in with the fact of, you know, this whole theme about, you know, social responsibility, right? You know, so basically organizations around the world are now being, you know, put in the limelight, right? And they're now being expected to play a larger and larger part in solving, you know, global challenges or taking a stance on key topics, right? Like like Lives Matter, Russia-Ukraine conflict sustainability, you know, green energy on the whole host of matters itself, right? So, you know, with that into play, just being the socially responsible itself means that you also need to actually then pay a lot more attention to your business practices, to how you set up the organization, to also thinking forward to what sort of business you want to be involved in and what sort of clients you want to be involved in. So still a very nascent topic in this part of the world. You know, I would say it's uh, probably going to be a few years before we really build up the muscles in this space. But definitely, you know, as any organization which is looking to build up, you know, the ESG component of the business itself, you know, getting somebody who is a sustainability expert or who has actually seen that and seen what good looks like in other parts of the world will be quite helpful. And that could mean creating a temporary seat at the table, for instance, that will give them a chance to advise on this topic. Right, right. Yeah, Yeah. that sounds like a good idea. So at least they're there for the duration. They can be as useful as they can possibly be to the organization temporarily, if not permanently in the future. Permanent as far as the cycles go, of course. Now... Here's the other thing. Succession planning, I understand, is something that boards do as well as a best practice. Tell us more about this part of it. I think we don't actually do enough in terms of looking at succession planning at the board level. I think we do succession planning for the CEOs and the C-suites, right? But we don't really take on a structured approach when it comes to boards. And I think this is increasingly becoming important because the role of boards is changing. They are addressing an increasingly complex set of issues and challenges. 
So it's really important to adopt a structured approach to board evaluation, looking at the board composition and ensuring that you're matching the skill sets of your board to the business and strategy needs, right? So if a company is going to launch like in new markets, for instance, you need to make sure that you have directors with the right experience in scaling those markets. If you are ramping out a sustainability theme, right? Do you have the right people to advance advice on how you get there? And uh, what we've seen is really high-functioning boards. They really treat board evaluation, uh, directed recruitment as an ongoing exercise. So it's a consistent evaluation of the skills necessary for the board to succeed today, as well as the next five years. Right? Look round the corner on who might be coming up for retirement, right? Mm. And to see whether that gives you the opportunity to bring in somebody with a new skill set or you need to actually, you know, and if you need to replace that skill set, you can, you know, start looking forward and basically getting comfortable about who might be available in the next year or two. One final thing. We mentioned that we would come back to the issue of mental well-being. What role can boards specifically play here? So I think this is a topic that, you know, boards and executives, they can't ignore anymore. It's definitely, you know, being mentioned a lot more higher in the agenda than before. So looking at, and this ties into the ESG piece as well, right? So looking at sustainable work practices, you know, putting basically safeguards on, you know, on some of the maybe more junior level people who might need more support from the organization, looking at basically how to actually help working mums. Could there be, you know, could there be, you know, practices that's put in place to actually help, you know, some of the, uh, you know, more challenged work groups in the organization. All right. Thank you very much for that, Jiat Hui. We were speaking there with Jiat Hui Wu, partner in charge at the Hydric and Struggles Singapore office and a member of the financial services practice. Thanks for joining us on Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.